powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Game Over Winnipeg. My name is Brady. I am joined here by my fantastic co-host, Alyssa Hood. And we are going to have a little chat. Uh, the Jets tonight lose 3-1 to the Columbus Blue Jackets and, of course, our good old friend Patrick Laine. Um, we're going to break down the entire game or the game. You know, we're going to talk about, you know, what kind of went wrong, how, what led to the Jets demise tonight. Uh, probably talk a little Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois, a couple other things here and there. Maybe, maybe even touch on the trade deadline. We'll see. Um, but before we get into all that, want to bet they get in on the action at sports interaction. The boys of summer are back on the diamond and the, and March Madness is on deck. Bet pregame, live and player on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn or in Ontario, download the app now using the QR, QR code at the bottom of the screen. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Alyssa, I just wanted to get all that out of the way. Um, before we dive into it all, it's been a minute since we've uh, since we've chatted uh, on uh, on the old game over together. How are you doing today? Um... Right now, different than if you asked me during the first period of that game, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Uh, I would I would definitely have to agree. Um, the the start of the game was was pretty good. Um, the rest of it, not so much. Um, coming into the game, you know, playing against uh, Columbus, uh, did you have any expectations? Uh, what were you hoping to see? Um, and how did that kind of measure up against, uh, what ended up happening out there on the ice? Yeah. I mean, like hockey teams never want to lose hockey games. Right. So I always try and be cautious about how I'm like, oh, they wanted to win this one, but a couple different factors in this, the Winnipeg Jets are always going to want to beat Patrick line. We can go and beat that dead horse a little bit later in the show. If we want to talk a little bit about that trade, but those players are going to want to, um, you know, put up a good fight against him. They also. We only play Eastern Conferences, uh, Eastern Conference teams. Pardon me, twice in a year. They lost to them earlier this year, so you always want to beat those teams if you already lost to them once. Especially if they are the thirty-second best team in a league of thirty-two. So a couple things like that, and also just due to the nature of it being near the end of February or I guess mid-February, um, which is close to trade deadline, close to the end of the season, looking to clinch playoffs, all those kinds of things. They should have wanted to win this one, especially since it was against a team that should have been an easier two points than a lot of other opponents. Sure. That was not the case. <laughs> I I completely agree. Um, it is a bit of a joke that we have lost to them twice uh, this year. Again, you only play, uh, you play the teams from the East twice. And, um, you know, the Jets are one of the top teams in the West, and they should be hopefully, uh, you know, beating up on the worst team in the league. Um, but of course, you know, this is what it is. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a little uh, frazzled right now. Robert is texting us and letting us know that your mic is doubled. Um, so we're looking to, uh, to get that fixed uh, real quick here. I'm not sure what could be uh, causing that. Um, hopefully it's not too bad for you guys listening there. Um, oh boy, this is always fun. Well, that's not fun for me. It's not doubled through my ears, so I'm not sure. Uh, what we got going there but uh, i can chat with robert and andrew a little bit and try and figure it out on my end uh, <laughs> if you want to chat a little bit for sure um yeah i mean looking I, I i don't think it'll be on your end i'll be honest with you but looking at the t the game tonight um it was a very frustrating game especially when you see kind of how uh the game started off for us um oh we got people in the chat saying it's okay uh <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, regardless, um, you know, I'm not sure what I what I was getting at there. I apologize. I, I gotta gotta <laughs> get myself back on track here because um, it's still coming in double for me. I hear it as well. Um, I'll get you to talk again, Liz, real quick. Yeah, for sure. Well, Robert says uh, double the list isn't a bad thing, and I appreciate that. But uh, we'll have lots to chat about in this. Don't you worry, because we have much to discuss um, in in this particular one. I think Brady, you were starting off a little bit, just kind of about the the circumstances surrounding the game early on um, and just kind of wanting to get in and start with some energy straight off uh, right off the bat. That was something that's been kind of plaguing the Jets for a lot of the year. And then we also know that their second periods have been notoriously bad as well. I thought all in all, the Winnipeg Jets had a good first period. Um, I think the shot counter wasn't up on TSN to start, but I believe the period ended something like 14 to two in shots for the Winnipeg Jets. And I don't always read too much into shots when you're looking at things like possession because they can skew it a little bit. But 14 to 2 is pretty good. I can't complain about 14 to 2 in 20 minutes. So that was a nice start. Um, Brady, sounds like my mic is fixed, so that's fantastic. But do you have anything you want to talk about about why the Jets may have been so dominant in that first period? Um, what I it seemed like they just came out with a, a lot of jump. Um, I think the decision to switch the lines back to having uh Perfetti back with um, Wheeler and Shifley, and then of course uh, putting together the super top line of uh, of um, uh, Ehlers, Connor, and Dubois was really good for. I I think that that was kind of needed. Uh, one of the things I will I, I will say that has been good for Rick Bonus recently is that, um, or this year is that he, in comparison to previous coaching regimes, he's been a lot better at recognizing when things need a bit more of a shakeup. Um, there's a couple other defensemen and uh, and players that we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, and regarding their usage going on through the show. But one of the things I do think that it, he has done well is recognizing when things aren't working and trying to switch it up. Uh, at the end of last game, obviously, he switched up the lines, um, went to how we have it now with kind of that, that big top line and then having uh, Shifley with Wheeler and Perfetti. And I think that Shifley plays really well with Perfetti. I think they really benefit each other. Um, and plus, uh, Perfetti provides a bit of a defensive, um, you know, conscience <laughs> uh, to that line. But I also think that they are not great against better teams. So putting them together for this game here tonight, uh, I thought made sense. And early on, you know, they had the puck in deep. Um, they had pucks in deep. Uh, but they were also, uh, you know, cycling really well. They were getting good shots on. Perfetti had a great start to the game. You know, the nice one-touch pass over to Shifley. The one where he, like, bats the bats it out of the air and sets up um, Josh Morrissey for a one-timer. It was fantastic. And um, and as you said, you know, the shots were, I think it was, what, what was it, like 12-2, 14-2, I think you said? I think it was 12-2. I could be wrong. Oh, okay, um, it could have been 12-2. That's, yeah. Regardless. Uh, that's very good. And c after that, after the first period, I was sitting here going, man, why do we have, why is this the game that Liz and I decide to do together? It feels like this is going to be an easy one. You know, we're not going to get to tear the team down, rip a strip off them and yell at everybody. Famous last words. Here we are. Oh, here we are, folks. <laughs> um, but anyways, Liz, uh, as you've alluded to, uh, things did not go great uh, in the second period and moving onwards. Um, I'd like to, you know, get your insight. What did you think was a big issue for the Jets today? Um, what what changed in the second period? What Where did this all go wrong? So 
as strange as it sounds, I'm going to kind of split this in half here. I'm going to talk about it in two different capacities. We'll talk at five on five and at five on four, because a lot of this game was played on the special teams. So that's actually going to be a bigger storyline, in my opinion, than the five on five play. So I'll just start with that and get it out of the way. In that first period, what I really found was that the Columbus Blue Jackets, like the fact that one of their better defense, okay, no, no, one of their more name-worthy defenseman? I don't know. Erica Branson plays a huge role in that team's decor, so that tells you all you need to know right off the bat. Uh, you know, they their their defense is weak, um, as is Zach Wierenski's on LTIR, which has been awful for them, and they just don't have a lot going on back there, and you can tell. This team plays a lot more chaotic of a team defense than a lot of other teams in the NHL, um, and that's part of the reason why they're as or as they are at this time. Um, so I found that earlier on in the game, the Winnipeg Jets did a really good job of maintaining a little bit of that possession in the offensive zone and giving more time for their creative guys to be creative, which was awesome. Um, on the flip side, you also saw that some of their not-so-creative guys, even with that extra space and time and then those hemmed-in zone uh, pressures that they were creating, weren't creating a ton. But that's kind of besides the point. I'm derailing a little bit. This is all to say that... Um, the, the chaotic Blue Jackets in their own zone um, were kind of exposed by the Winnipeg Jets in that first period because they were able to maintain that possession a little bit more and, and cycle through and, you know, hem in those defensemen and they get them real tired and all that good stuff. The second period, that was a little bit less so of the case. And immediately that just changed the dynamic of things and the momentum was off, off, off as soon as they stopped generating as much as they did, as soon as they put took their foot off a little bit and Columbus got a couple of decent chances and more than, you know, two shots in 20 minutes, it was like the Jets just folded on themselves. Absolutely. I uh, I 100% agree. Um, it, it all, and, and you know what, I'll, I, I want to give some credit to the Blue Jackets because I think in the first period they just didn't come out to play at all like i i think that they they just did not have a good period of course we always like to think of it from you know it's always the jets this and that it definitely was the jets tonight who who caused their own demise but i also want to give a little bit of credit to uh patrick Liney and the blue jackets um as soon as they sensed blood in the water uh you know the the jets losing the momentum they really pounced on it um you know the, <laughs> we've talked about momentum so often this season um, and I remember there was one point when I texted you, I said, it, it was after, I think it was after the, oh, I can't remember when it was. I texted you, I said, how they respond to this dictates how much of frauds they are uh, versus how real they are. And uh, it seems like tonight, at least, they were they were kind of fraudulent. Um, it was a very, very frustrating second period. The biggest thing uh, also to me, um, your power play, man, w what's what's going on? Like I, there, there is so much I can say about the power play and it's, it's, it's nice to be back on game over because I've had a little bit of time, you know, I really enjoyed my, my break. Uh, if, if anyone was watching before the break, I was pulling my hair out every night. Um, and I was really hoping tonight wouldn't be that way. And, uh, I think that I am definitely overreacting a little bit tonight. I'm very, very upset and frustrated. Um, but I think that that's a very fair thing to say when you play the Columbus Blue Jackets, the worst team in the league, and lose to them both times in your season. Um, meanwhile, you have uh, a coaching staff that does not understand how to properly use uh, Nikolai Ehlers. This I'm so is... glad you brought that up because I want to touch on what Noah just said in the chat. So Noah, I always want to shout out Noah because he's always in our chat giving us live updates from the postgame pressers that we're not able to watch because we have this show. And he brings up a really great quote. So first things first, 
he um the first thing that Noah sent us was that um Nikolai Ehlers was asked if he wasn't feeling well because I think a lot of people were probably wondering you know if this guy's playing 12 minutes a night maybe it means that his injury is hurting again or that he's not up to speed whatever so maybe that's why Nikolai Ehlers response is that he is 100% so uh that's the elephant in the room there and then Noah also just said um bonus said that Ehlers ice time is as a result of him not being a penalty killer or on the first power play unit, which is why their best forward wasn't playing very much. Maybe, just maybe, if you can't score on six power plays, you should put your best. Sorry, sorry, power wait, play wait, wait, sorry. I, I I need to cut you off there. Six power plays and three five on threes. That's insane. That's gotta be like a record, to be honest with you. Like, you know, we can touch on the refing at some point. I don't think that it's it's really important to this game because I think it was a bit more favorable for the Jets. But, oh, my God. I, I just don't understand how... Um, we saw the quote come out the other day where Rick Bonus basically said that Ehlers was taken off of that top unit because Shifley wanted to play in that spot and you can only have one guy play in each spot and therefore Ehlers drops down. You're the coach. I, I don't care what Mark Shifley says. I don't. I do not. He wears an A on his chest. He needs to understand that this team is not about him. This is a team. You have to play your role. The best spot for Mark Shifley on the power play is right in the middle of the ice. Yes. Oh, sorry. Seven power plays, actually. And they went one for seven on the power play and 0 for three on the five on three. Thank you again, Noah. Uh, I'm so glad you brought up that middle of the ice thing because, yeah, I think that's insane too. And I also think that even if that is the call that you make, whether it's right or wrong, any call that you make, if it doesn't score on six power plays against the worst team in the NHL, you should probably be looking to switch things up. But yesterday at school, I so we have this office in the basement of uh, the Drake Center at the Astro School of Business. And I, when it's my office hours, I love to stream things on the TV. Sometimes I play episodes of the Jonas Brothers from Disney Channel. You know, I play great stuff. <laughs> yesterday, it was Winnipeg Jets highlights from previous years and previous seasons. So we were watching Game 3 against Edmonton from the bubble playoffs, all those kinds of things. We also, of course, watched highlights from the those Nashville games, those Minnesota Wild games from 2018. Mark Shifley was a beast in the slot. I know Patrick Lanning was on the side there, and so a lot of people were cheating towards that, which gave him some space, blah, blah, blah. We could talk about all that kind of stuff. But he is a very, very viable option in that middle spot there. And then you can also, you know, have your best power play specialist on your first power play unit. I don't understand. It it doesn't make sense. And and. The, the thing that Shifley excels at offensively is he's quick. He's a quick shooter. He has quick hands. He's able to, you know, create space for himself when he's got a bunch of guys on him and get a shot off. He's not Patrick Line. He's not Dustin Bufflin. The Jets don't have a right-handed shot that should be lining up for these big one-timers. You have you have your, your one-timer uh, threat on the power play, and that's Kyle Connor, and you should use him like that. I don't understand why you need to try and have this thing where you have both sides who can do these one-timers. Um, and regardless, like, you don't need, you don't, I, I think the Jets are a little bit obsessed with the flashiness of getting these these really nice, you know, you pass it across and you get this big one-timer and it goes in and everyone loses their mind. Um, I'm sorry, it's about results at the end of the day. Uh, Blake Wheeler should not be in the middle of the ice on the power play. He, his best asset is his passing. You're putting him in a spot where he does not have 
access to his best ability. Also, he's a right-handed shot. So now you're now what you're doing is in order for your your bumper uh sorry, in order for your bumper player to be as effective as possible, you need the puck to be running through the guy who's on the right side, which is Kyle Connor. The puck should not be running through Kyle Connor. Kyle Connor should be the guy sitting on the other side of the ice, waiting in the wings, you know, hiding in the weeds until bang, pass over to him, one timer, easy goal. Um and that's and that's what Nick I Nikolai Ehlers brings to this power play is when he plays that flank on the left side, he draws a lot of attention to him. Not in the same way that a Patrick Line does, where you have to cover him. You absolutely need to get on him, or else he's going to unleash this, you know, crazy shot. Um, but in a different way, where he's so dynamic that everything is a threat. It's almost a different version of how uh, Blake Wheeler used to have such a such he he had such um, what's it called. He drew such energy and and attention to him on the power play was because he was the guy who was dishing it to uh, Dustin Bufflin, to Mark Shifley, to Patrick Laine. Whichever guy you're not covering, he's going to get the puck to. Whereas now, you don't really have that. Um, The Jets aren't able to, you know, run the puck completely through um, a guy who can make all these passes and, and, you know, thread the needle. So you need to to cause chaos. The way the Jets have, have scored this year is through chaos. Um, when Nick Ehlers is on the left side, he creates more movement. He's able to walk in, take a nice shot, uh, a nice hard wrist shot. Um, if that's not available to him, he can always pass it into the middle and get a nice little tip off of Shifley. Uh, if not, he can always put it back down low to to Pierre-Luc Dubois or Blake Wheeler or whoever else is on this power play. Um, regardless, I, I just don't understand how in, in a game where, like, very clearly... Nikolai Ehlers is one of the most important players on the Jets, and I hate to 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 give him shit, even though he's had a, a pretty good year this year, but Blake Wheeler is 36 years old. There is no reason, there is absolutely no good reason why Blake Wheeler is playing 22 and a half minutes uh, and Nikolai Ehlers is playing 14 in the middle of the regular season. Like, What? I, I don't understand. I'm sorry I'm not really handing off anything to you. No, um, I can talk about it. I, I can talk about it. I, I just feel I like I'm hogging point. the mic right now. and <laughs> I need I need to pass it off to you so I can uh, try to think of where, where to go next. Um, well, I'm not going anywhere next because I'm going to talk about the exact same thing do. that you did. Because I think it's super like valid to bring that up. And I think that the, the big thing is... You can't, like, how do you sit in your post-game presser and say, yeah, these are all the decisions that you made and you didn't change it up? Like, that's almost entirely on coaching. Um, And I think Noah brings up another good point. Uh, Rick Bonus in the post-game talks about discipline a little bit with the players, which we can definitely agree was a little bit of an issue tonight. But there is no sane person that can look at running the same unit for seven power plays against the worst team in the NHL and only score once. And that was on a five-on-three and not score on the other five-on-threes. Like, I'm repeating the same thing over and again, but it's 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 true. And like you said about Blake Wheeler, you're diminishing his effectiveness was Tonight, the best game that Blake Wheeler's ever played? No, probably not. Would he have been better if he was playing 16 minutes and so was Nikolai Ehlers or Nikolai Ehlers was playing 18 or 20? Yup. That probably would have been a lot better for everyone. So yeah, you can be like, you can justify the ice time and be like, Blake Wheeler is on power play one and Nikolai Ehlers isn't. Ergo, this is why their uh, ice time was the way it was. 
I'm not confused there. I understand the thought process, but why is that the thought process? It doesn't make any sense that that's the choice of execution for that power play when it's not working and it hasn't been working for a very long time. The other thing too, like I, I just, you know, to bring it back to this game and, and less on, on the philosophy of, of how they should be running their power play, of course, it, it, it applies to this game because they put up uh, you know, basically a goose. They put up a goose egg on a five on, on five on threes on three five on threes. Um, but just looking at it, like the second unit played half as much. I'm looking at the time on ice right now. Uh, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, all those guys are sitting around 450. Uh, and the second power play is sitting at about two minutes and ten seconds, two two fifteen. Um, Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti, just those two guys created so much more in half the time in all less than half the time um and even that power play near the end like their best chance to tie up the game was off of a nick ehlers you know walk in to the slot put it down low a bunch of chaos is created in front i like i i don't know i don't understand i just don't understand um, well, and the thing that's frustrating about it to me, too, is we were talking about this a little bit before. To credit Rick Bonus, you said he changes things up with the forward lines when things aren't working, which is important. I think he actually strikes a relatively good balance between leaving him long enough to try and let him cook a little bit versus, um, you know, not leaving it for too long that it becomes awful. Like, I think he has a decent spot of giving it some time to gel, but then also stopping it before it's just brutal. Why can't he do that on the power play, too? Because we are long past that tipping point. Yeah, I I don't I don't know, and I'm starting to lose a little bit of my glimmer uh, for this coaching staff. I'm not saying anything crazy. I'm I'm not implying anything. I am just airing my frustrations. I want that to be very clear. Um, but we were sold on Rick Bonus as this guy who's going to come in, hold players accountable, and ensure that this team is the is the hardest to beat. That they can't be. He always said we're gonna be we're gonna be a hard a we're gonna be hard to play against. Thank you. Sorry, that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for. Um, I can't. I hate to break it to you. You're not. It's not hard to play against you when Neil Pionk is playing like twenty. How many minutes? Let me look. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes a night. Uh, playing on the top pair with uh Josh Morrissey. He single handedly sinks jo- Josh Morrissey every single time he plays with them. I just don't understand like and I and I don't want to you know harp on Pionk. It's it's very apropos right now to harp on Pionk, but I I just I can't watch this game. The game that they had tonight. How many times did Neil Pionk turn up the ice or sorry, turn back, go back into his zone, get pressured by a guy. There was one specific one. He he was on in the middle of a breakout. He could have made it a simple pass out of the zone. He gets pressured against, he turns, he goes back into his zone. He feels the guy on him the entire time. And what does he do? He spins. He spins and just shoots it up the ice blindly. It goes right to a blue jacket sitting on the blue line and walks in, gets another chance. A huge thing is created. And that I think also there was another one where it basically did the exact same thing. And that's what led to his tripping penalty, which again, momentum is so important to this team. You can't be taking penalties when you're in the middle of pushing like for to try and tie the game up. He is a complete liability on defense. And I'm not saying that this guy needs to be, you know, absolute like scratched every game or anything. It would be nice if if you could, you know, maybe hold him accountable 
I'm not even asking to scratch him. I'm just asking him to be played less. I'm just asking for you to shelter him a little bit. He's not the defenseman that he was when he played against the Oilers. Like, he's just not. Don't even bring that up. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to get into a whole spiel about him, but I, I can't. I just can't. I just can't not no, talk well, about it. No, I... I think it's it's super important to continue to bring up because it goes in line with a lot of the other stuff that we're saying that it's there's no there there isn't that same results based merit based change up and and lineup that we see with the forwards like you see especially with the bottom six forwards yes whoever's playing gets deployed maybe a little bit more than they should under bonus but also guys don't have that long of leashes he sits thousand game NHL player Sam Gagne if he's not quite up to where he wants him to be and he'll switch he'll demote Cole Perfetti he'll demote Nikolai Ehlers he'll you know call out Pierre Lecteau all these things but I just don't see it with the defenders and I don't understand because I think to pretty much everyone I don't think there's anyone out there I don't think there's a Winnipeg Jets fan out there who can look at what Neil Pionk has done this year and be like yeah this is the best the guy can do and to me, if you can say that about anyone, they should not be playing with Josh Morrissey for several games in a row. Josh Morrissey has become less effective playing with Neil Pionk. And I think tonight in particular, like, um, you know, some people talk about Neil Pionk as a little bit more of a defensive liability, but some he creates good offense. Neil Pionk, honestly, in my opinion, doesn't create fantastic offense either. I find that he's a very shot-heavy defenseman that's, like... I we can we can harp about this a little bit, but you know there was a time near the end of the game they they bring him out there and he cranks a shot from the top of the from right by the blue line when there was a like not not enough traffic near nearly enough traffic in front of the net to warrant that kind of shot those types of things people see shot from defensemen therefore offensive defensemen but it was not the right shot to take at that time and that's only one example from the game but there were several of them I think. Um, and there have been several, especially with Josh Morrissey when you're being played in important situations with that guy as your partner. It's just, it's not working at everyone. Like, how can you not see that it's not working? They have to see it. They just must not think that they have anything better going on right now or something. Because there's no way. Like, there's just no way. I just I just want to point out, I just want to point this out. Uh, Morrissey and Pionk pairing against the Columbus Blue Jackets. 25% expected goals. How? How? With Josh, Mor Josh Morrissey is a Norris candidate this year. He's, he's literally, uh, we thought tonight that he passed Buff on the points record for the Jets. He didn't, he didn't get the assist uh, on, on the one goal that the Jets scored, uh, but he will shortly in, you know, what is it, 54 games, 55 games now. This is a guy who is genuinely in the Norris conversation. And every single time you play Neil Pionk with him, He's 40% or under. And and that's the only defenseman on the Jets. You can play Morrissey with Schmidt. You can play Morrissey with DeMello. I'm not really sure they've done much else. Um, but I'm sure that he could play with Dylan. And I'm sure that he could play with Sandberg. Because both of those guys uh, provide the Jets defense. Uh, and have been sneaky good. Like Dylan Sandberg has been sneaky good this year. Um, and he by, like absolutely shouldn't have any you know, threat of being taken out of the lineup. Even if the Jets do acquire D-Man, if he gets bumped out, then you're just trading play. You know, it, you're you're not making any actual important change. Um, but they need to figure something out here. Like, I'm, you know, initially when I saw the the Dylan and DeMello, the Dylan-DeMello pairing, the Dilly-Dilly line, um, <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, you know, I know this is an ideal, but maybe they're just 
feeling things out. You know, what if DeMello were to get pushed down in the lineup? What if? What if there was a, a right-handed defenseman who happened to step into the into you know the fray? Uh, and I'm not saying anything will happen um, at all. And I I don't think the Jets are in on Eric Carlson. Um, but you know Chevy has been at those Sharks games, and and I'm just saying if you had if you had you know Schmidt Sandberg together on the bottom pair, Dylan Demello, Morrissey Carlson. That's that's that's. That's pretty sexy. It's a pretty good decor. <laughs> um, then I'll stop complaining about the power play. For sure. Um, all right. What do we want to move on to? Do we want to talk line A and Dubois? I don't have much to say, honestly, about it. I mean, but I'll let well, you if you I think do. we could talk a little bit about purely Dubois just in general. Um, so I was talking to my dad about this after last game, and I guess Rick Bonus maybe Noah, Noah could be my fact checker in the chat because he seems to listen to the postgame pressers, but I guess there was they the media asked uh, bonus a little bit about Dubois and basically his response was I'd rather have to calm him down than crank him up because he's a very, very passionate player and he always plays with a decent amount of energy. So I think that's a very valid point because especially with this team, when they can get into those lulls, knowing you have a guy that very often doesn't like he'll have the odd time, you know, hence the shift and all those types of things where he's a little bit slow and a little bit off. Uh, But like all in all, he's a pretty energetic player and brings a lot of heart to the team. So I guess I have that that I can respect and that I can appreciate about him and all those kinds of things. But games against Columbus always make you reflect on that trade a little bit more. And I was talking to Brady and we were we were getting ready for this stream and we were both just like kind of soured. And honestly, like if this was like a two one loss against the Arizona Coyotes or the Anaheim Ducks, I genuinely don't think I would be as bitter as I am just because I always have a little bit of a like not a little bit a very bitter taste in my mouth every time the Jets play Columbus just because I'm reminded about how badly that situation played out with this player uh, and everything that surrounded that the circumstances the coaching the other players the leadership all this sort of stuff that led to that trade having to occur from the Winnipeg Jets side of things just sours me on everything I get frustrated I hate that I'm still talking about it however many years later but it's always an interesting time to sit back and sort of reflect on that situation personally um, Jack Roslevic's a net zero for me in this trade i don't care about that player i don't think he was ever gonna play with the like i it doesn't bother me the fact that he has like 100 points the blue jackets i'm like good for him doesn't really change my mind all that much on anything in that situation to me it's a one-for-one trade i look at um patrick line and purely do what i look at those players and i i'm frustrated with the situation and it's going to be very interesting to see how everything rolls out with uh pure dubois like obviously we also that clip of him and nikolai ehlers when nikolai like they're, <laughs> they're talking and they're chatting and they're laughing and nikolai ehlers makes like a side eye comment about next year everyone knows even his own co-workers know that he doesn't want to be here which is really frustrating and whatever but if the jets get a josh anderson for him well i will just flip a table and be pissed that we ended up with the second overall draft pick power play specialist patrick line and ended up with freaking josh anderson because of it um can we but this is me going on a whole tangent to say pierre Luc dubois is a fine hockey player and he has a lot of good qualities and all these things but in games like tonight where he has two very unnecessary to take penalties Maybe you don't call one of them. Um, the other one I definitely would call, but the second one, maybe you don't call that. That's fair, I guess. You don't call them in the playoffs. We can talk about all this, that, whatever. But he can be a little bit of an undisciplined hockey player, and it can be very, very frustrating in games like this when, like you said, momentum is everything. Yes, he's out there firing up the team a little bit and all those kinds of things because he's driving that he's doing all these great things. But all of a sudden, you're down shorthanded, and you have the power play specialist, Patrick Line, and what happens? They score. 
I'm just frustrated about the whole situation and I'm actually sounding a little bit more bitter about this than I wanted to, but I'll just be mad about it forever. Um, even though Pierre-Luc Dubois is my favorite hockey player in the entire world. So that's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of, lot of emotions the, from I, me specifically. Can we, can we just stop giving any credit to anyone from the Habs media who is like, this could be considered a trade chip for Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's like, yeah, obviously anything could be considered a trade trip, a, a trade chip. Um, but if somehow we end up with Josh Anderson, uh, I think that that's worse than the uh, Oilers trading, uh, what was it, uh, Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom and then trading Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner and then Ryan Spooner, I don't know, where is he God, now? Again, flashbacks. I forgot about it. <laughs> Retired. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Like, like seven years ago. That's that's okay. the new that that you know if that did happen that would be the new version of that. But yeah, I don't know. I as in regards to the penalties, like I I thought that the first one definitely was a penalty. Um, and I'm I'm split on Pierre Dubois. While you were talking there, I was trying to bring up um like a penalty differential thing for him because I I believe he's actually in the money in regards to penalty differential. He I still is. I think he I think he has drawn the most penalties of any player in the NHL this year. Wow. Incredible. Um <laughs> and I I believe it. He does draw a lot of penalties. Uh but so does Nick Ehlers. Uh anyways, not the point. Um one final thing. You know, as we approach, I feel like almost every show we're going to have to do a little trade deadline talk. Alyssa Who's who's your number one? Uh, as well as what have you seen on the timeline? Who who have you heard the you know being put in around the Jets or the Jets names being put in around? Well, you know? it's interesting, right? Because I we're gonna have similar conversations in a lot of these episodes, and it, it's the kind of thing that I kind of want to give maybe a more reactionary response than I need to. Um, just to sort of switch up my answer from episode to episode, and so in a situation like this. I'm leaning more heavily um, into the James Van Reeves like train every single day just because of how awful this penalty or this power play, pardon me, is. And also just how shot heavy a lot of our defensemen are. So if you have someone who's really, really good at finishing off those chances in front of the net and is actually able to generate good scoring chances from that money spot right on top of the crease. To me, that's very much along the lines of what this team needs. I've been pretty high on James Van Reeves like ever since, um, you know, we've started having the conversations about the trade deadline. So that one's not brand new information, but I'm starting to get more and more worried about this defensive core with the role that Neil Pionk is currently playing and how it's affecting everything else with the way they're deploying the D. So I'm starting to look more heavily at some of those big names on the market. The, you know, Eric Carlson hasn't been linked to the jets at all. And I don't think realistically that's the move that they need to make, but at the same time, a high impact defenseman like that, shouldn't be out of the question for the Jets, and they should be kicking the tires on a lot of those Jacob Chikrin types that are available. Not the Vladislav Gavrikovs. That's not who I'm talking who also, about. Who also didn't play tonight. We, you know, one, mm-hmm. of, one of the the guys who is going to go to a contender uh, did also not play tonight. So that's good Good on you guys, Winnipeg Jets. Sorry, I meant to mention <laughs> that earlier, and I forgot to, uh, but I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad it all comes full circle. Um, well, and that's just even more embarrassing that uh, they have one single defenseman who's like decent and he was sat tonight. So, you know, yay for the Jets. Um, but yeah, I, I'm starting to look more defenseman. Two months ago, I was like, don't even worry about it. I know Neil Pionk's having a bit of a rough go, but we can manage. I don't know if we can manage anymore. I, I think if the Jets, if the coaching staff just understands how to use him, I think that he can be fine. He just needs to be sheltered. He just can't be used like he's a number one defenseman. Uh, he's not. He's not even a, a three four. He's like a five six, uh, if that. Um, but 
you know, you, you, you kind of stole my flow. I was going to, I was going to say almost the exact same thing uh, about, about JVR. Cause he's, he's been the name that has been connected to the jets the most by far. Um, and I certainly do agree with you in, in regards to um, he would really benefit with the way that the jets play. Uh, he's always been a net front guy uh, who thrives off of the chaos created in front uh, and the Jets this year have really put a lot of eggs in the defenseman shooting and creating chaos in front. Uh, when the Jets are at their best, they are creating chaos in front and jumping on rebounds, scoring garbage goals, uh, and then, you know, relying on their skill uh, to, to you know, to just put them past the finish line. Um, whereas recently, it feels like they've been relying on their skill a little bit too much. Um, and I think that JVR fits that exactly. But you know what? I... This is the one thing that I've been seeing around the whole conversation. Obviously, I'm obviously going to say the Jets should go get Timo Meyer. If it, you've got to be completely out of your mind if you don't say that that uh, is something that they should do. Both, you know, with the case of the fact, you know, this is the Jets are in the middle of a window right now, and they should be doing everything they can to um, succeed in this window. But Timo Meyer also gives you, you know, potential. Uh, what's it called? You know. Dubois insurance like he, he you you potentially have a guy who can at least pick up some of the slack if Dubois ends up getting traded if this that the other thing happens uh if? regardless okay well I mean he's, he's still got a, a, a qualifying excuse me a qualifying offer this next year so I would expect him to be on the Jets next year um I, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense for a T if the if the Habs are so you know he's gonna come home kind of thing you, you don't spend assets to a guy that you're gonna get for free the next year right no, so the, I don't think we're going to trade him to the Habs. They're going to trade him somewhere else. But that's a story for another time. Anyways, n- n- <laughs> exactly. Um, but the one thing that I've been seeing a lot from all these pundits with with TSN, with whoever, they're talking about, oh, what what do the Jets need? Um, and they've said that they kind of need to, you know, form around the bottom, uh, in the bottom six. And so, you know, JVR is kind of, in my opinion, like a, you know, a top, like a middle six guy. Like he's he's very clearly a middle six guy which I think would be fine. He would work really well on the second line, I think. Um, but the reasoning that teams or that, that uh, you know, analysts are saying the Jets shouldn't go out and get Myers because, you know, they're good enough up top and they really need help in the bottom six. You know who would help the bottom six? Uh, a guy who apparently you think is in the top six getting bumped down to the bottom six because you added a top six guy. Like that's the other thing with, no. with Ma- <laughs> when you, when you add high end talent, the effects of it are felt throughout the entire roster. And I think that that's another thing that is so important with Timo Meyer, which is why I'm so gung ho to get him. And in my mind, you know, anything that isn't on the active roster, I don't care. I really don't. Billy, if Billy Hanola gets traded for him, I'm sorry, cover your ears list. If Billy Hinnell is a part of the trade, I don't care. If Brad Lambert's part of the trade, I don't care. If Rudker McGroy is part of the trade, I don't care. If Chaz Luce is, I don't care. The Jets, at some point, no, you have to sure. put, you have to push your 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 chips into the middle, like you have to. And and I think that Chevy understands that. I think, I I can't be certain, but I expect him to do something big this this off season or not this off season this trade deadline. Um regardless no for sure and i think that anyone who's listening yeah like we all again all the untouchable oh brad lambert oh chas lucius like no it's the kind of thing where if you want to look at the lifetime of assets and you can look at where they peak and where they go down ideally if you make that little bell curve of every single player you want the bell curves to all be at the top at the same time i don't care if chas lucius is going to be better 
than okay, that's a bad example. I don't care if Brad Lambert is gonna be better than James Van like in five years. We don't have Connor Hellebuck and Nikolai Ehlers under contract in five years. So why do I care? That's the whole thing that needs to be more ingrained in these people's minds. So like you said, the Jets need to make a big splash because it has to happen now. And so like you said, Timo Meyer like is obviously the get that everyone should be looking for. You can make like a flow chart or something where it's like, is your like you know those like tiger beat quizzes you used to get when you were a kid? It's like, um, no, you don't. You're a boy, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> is your team in a playoff spot right now? No. Trade for Timo Meyer. Yes, trade for Timo Meyer. Like, it's the kind of thing, it's like, you just, you want that player. So there should be a lot of teams that are interested in him. So that one's a little bit, a little bit different. But if a guy's not on the Winnipeg Jets roster right now, he should be pushed up and being put out there and and held out there, dangled as trade bait. Get get it all out there because you need someone who's going to help you win right now. You just do. So my, so my question to you is, do you think that Chevy realizes, like, you know, going back to what I just said, before i think chevy realizes this that's my opinion do you think that he is of the mind do you think that he understands the current window that the jets have do you think that he understands uh that it's it's time to go big or go home or do you think that he's like still in the in in you know held to what everyone thinks of chevy as as this guy who likes to just kind of add a little bit here and there he's not too aggressive he's very zen What's your opinion well, on that? Just quickly. Very quickly. Like, I think he's a little bit more hesitant than he should be just because the Jets do have some good prospects. And I think there is the safety net of if you don't go all in right now, you can trade away some of these current players under contracts and add a few more and then build a new core around the Lamberts and the whoever's. But I that's an awful take to have. I don't think he's fully, fully on that train, but also... From the other perspective, I also think that this man knows that he's been a GM for 11 years. And if he doesn't start winning soon, like he, he's going to be on the hot seat. So I I have a feeling he makes a decent trade. But I think the thing is just that I, I don't understand the way he values things because I think he'll fight on someone like Tim Meyer till the end. But if he thinks the price is getting a little bit too steep, he'll back off which I understand. But at the same time, that's when teams lose out on things because at that point, if you don't walk away from it with Timo Meyer, it's like you never been in the first place, right? So it's it's difficult um to to I don't know. Like so, it, it's just hard. So do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so the reason why I was saying I think that Chevy does realize that this is the time to put the chips in the middle. Um, and I will give credit to this. I believe it was it was Kenny and Rennie, of course the the classics go listen to them after us of course um i they they were i'm pretty sure it was them at least uh they were bringing up the fact that chevy made all these moves for cap space uh you know moving brian little little's contract so that they weren't in ltir all year so that they could accumulate cap space as well as just the little things like not putting cole perfetti on ir uh earlier on not putting um sorry not not on ir on long-term ir sorry um, and same thing with Nikolai Ehlers. A lot of these moves were done to create cap space for the deadline. And now we're at a point where, I mean, last time I checked, I'm not sure what it is currently, but we were sitting at, I don't know, probably like nine, $10 million available at the deadline. Like you don't just move a pick and a pro. I can't remember exactly what was what the, what they moved for Brian Little, but you have to do, you, there's a reason for doing that. What's the point of creating all this cap space to give yourself this really unique thing that 
none of the other contenders really have right now. Like no, none of the other contenders really can trade for Timo Meyer and immediately like extend him. I guess I don't know. Or the Toronto even... Maple Leafs have seven dollars to their name. Like exactly. it's, it's a very unique position to be in. Or even or even afford their the qualifying offer next year. Like the, I just, I really think that it's gonna happen. Not not Meyer necessarily, but. I think that Chevy understands that this is the year ha- he has to do something, um, both for the reasons that you said about his job and this and that, but I also don't think he would be, you know, he would do something just off of that. But um, I think that the writing is on the wall, uh, and I think that Chevy is doing the due diligence right now, um, and hopefully, you know, over the next few weeks, we get an answer to it, and hopefully it's an answer we all like. Um, again, it is what it is. Do you wanna do you wanna roll through a couple of the names that were in the chat really quickly and just say yes or no on if you want to trade for them? Sure, we can take a look. I'm I'm convincing my friend Aaron right now that the Winnipeg Jets used to be the hottest team in the NHL. So we're having <laughs> real productive conversations in there. Uh Jacob Chickern's come up. That one is obviously an interesting name, and I think that every team should be interested in a player like that because good defensemen aren't super easy to find. Uh Noah also brings up Nick Schmaltz. Um, which I think is an interesting player too. If we're looking at the Arizona Coyotes, though, I'm more interested in a tertiary ad of Nick Bukestad personally. I think that that could be a really underrated, um, under yeah, under the radar kind of move that mm-hmm. helps shore up the bottom six a little bit at a low cost as well. Um, and you know, if that comes in a package with Jacob Chickren, I don't think I would be mad about <laughs> it. But I think that player is still inevitably going to LA, even if we're just taking so much time um but um jake mccabe and matt dumbo were also brought up in the chat a little bit so um what do you think about those two i think while i like what jake mccabe would bring i just don't see that trade working out in the sense of the jets have so many d under under contract for like he essentially has like the brendan Dillon kind of style of contract where i think he's a good player and i think that you know, he would bring something to the Jets. I think that the Jets just can't afford to have so many, you know, $4 million defensemen on the back end kind of thing like that who aren't complete game changers. Of course, you know, that doesn't apply to Chikrin because Chikrin's a game changer. Um, but I just don't see that deal being made. And same thing with Dumba. Like, the only way I can really picture a Dumba trade happening would be as if, like, a guy like Neil Pionk is on the other way, going the other way. And I, you know, I, I made an armchair GM one time with that as a trade and I got lit up by wild fans and people all going, uh, the wild can't afford to do that because they need the cap space that Dumba is going to bring next year. Um, because that they're still getting killed by those buyout penalties, uh, for Suter and Frise. But, uh, but alas, those are my thoughts on those players. And uh, last thing I want to say about it. I also just think the Winnipeg Jets are a very, very traditional team in the sense yeah. that they're, I don't think they're going to trade a player that's under contract for a couple of years. Like Neil Pionk, like they would trade him in a couple of years if he wasn't, if like, if he was performing this way and he was coming up on contract, but since he's not coming up on contract, it's out of the question for them. And I hate that style of thinking. I think it's a very common hockey thing. Um, But I think that you should be moving players if it makes sense to move players and you shouldn't get too bent out of shape about the term because guess what neil pionk's contract is up in what four years we don't need neil pionk in four years we need a good neil pionk right now and that's not what we have so get rid of him that's it that's all for me absolutely uh all righty you know what i think that's a good a good way to end the show here thank you all for tuning in make sure you please leave a like on this on the on the stream here um if you're listening on audio uh join us in the stream let us know what you think about uh the games 
Um, you know, find us on Twitter, obviously at SDPN Sports, at Liz Hood, at uh, NHL Chunky. Um, what else is there to plug? Uh, check out our well, podcast too. Yeah, we have a podcast called Can't <laughs> Teach Size because you know how much we love that ism. Um, but also we talk a lot about trades, and we will continue to talk about tra- trades as we're about two and a bit weeks out um, from that. There's going to be some really awesome trade stuff coming from SDPN and that whole brand from the Steve Dangle podcast from the Game Over team. Like, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff there. Um, So definitely keep an eye out for that. Like, I highly recommend you guys check out or follow SDPN on Twitter and also subscribe on YouTube because there's going to be a lot of really good content that's going to be more league-wide and not just us covering the Jets. Everyone's going to be covering the Jets as we get up uh, to the trade deadline and stuff. So definitely check that out. For sure. Alrighty. Thank you all for tuning in. Have yourselves a great evening. Uh, See you next time. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.